Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tim Wendelbow Coffee Podcast. I am Tim Wendelbow and in this episode I am speaking with an old friend and a coffee colleague and Morten Munchau who is a coffee researcher and uh, in today's topic we are discussing or talking about the research that is done with his colleague Ida Sten on organic acids in coffee. So if you want to learn a little bit more about why coffee tastes the way it does uh, then you should listen to this episode and I do apologize for the slightly lower uh, sound quality than normal. Uh, this was recorded on location in Copenhagen when I was in Denmark in August um, and the uh, atmosphere was not perfect for recording sound but hopefully you will enjoy the content more than the, the sound and um, yeah let, let us know what you think. Uh, if you have any questions or comments feel free to do so on our Instagram account Tim Wendelbow. Welcome to another episode of the Tim Wendelbo Coffee Podcast. And uh, yet again, I have with me my friend Morten Munchau, the coffee researcher. I think we could do probably 100 episodes with you. Yeah, hopefully. Because you have so many different <laughs> topics that you have been researching and that you're interested in. And I have, it's like you put on a, a silver dollar and you get a $100 back in, <laughs> in terms of knowledge. <laughs> but today we're actually going to have a little short mini episode about organic acids. And can you just quickly, before we start, Getting into the technical side, uh, what is organic acids? Organic acids is uh, acids in organic material. So organic material is built up a, a, a lot of carbon uh, atoms, and basically it's the molecules of life. So okay. it's just like a huge box of Lego where carbon is the most common thing, and you can build big things, and then you can add some small interesting stuff. Uh, that has different chemical uh, properties, but the, the basis is this uh, Lego carbon molecule. So an example of an organic acid that everyone would know and can Cit Citric acid probably is the... Perfect. Yeah. And that is used both in food and for cleaning and for yes. many different things. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Descaling. Yes, yeah. exactly. So what do you want to share with us today? Because I know you've been doing some very interesting research on organic acids in coffee. Yes. Uh, so one of the things that we do in Coffee Mind is that we, we, we bridge uh, science and business practices in coffee. So what our identity is to, to make sure to support the coffee community by kind of di differentiating what is hot air and what is actually true and something you can rely on. Mm. And we do this in coffee roasting and in, in sensory evaluation, which is our two subjects. And we found a lot of things that even is very integrated in, in the education systems that do collaborate with science, science institutions, but haven't really found out what is, in these, these education systems, what is actually solid ground and what is just hot air that has been spoken about for so many years that people believe it's true just because it sounds true. Yeah. And, and, and so we have found uh, that in many uh, situations, there's no direct relationship between uh, really basic molecules such as, such as uh, sugars and organic acids and sensory relevant properties in coffee. 
And uh, as I mentioned in the previous episode that we found in the Nordic Roaster Forum data, that there was a clear modulation of, uh, of uh, sweetness uh, in the different roast profiles, but there was no change in sugar. Mm. So the difference in perceived sweetness was probably driven by aromas and not sugars. Everybody talks about sugars in yeah. coffee. Sugars this and this happens to the sugars and that gives this and that, but... It doesn't contain a lot of sugar, does it? No, it doesn't contain a lot of sugar, actually. It's sugar-free. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's very little calories in coffee, so obviously it doesn't contain a lot of sugars. Yeah, and the interesting thing is the sensory threshold, right? So if you can measure that the, that the sugar level is below the sensory threshold, there's no reason to talk too much about it. Yeah. And okay. this is what we found in, 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 in the, the, the samples at Nordic Roaster Forum, that it was below sensory threshold. Yeah and it didn't really change. Mm. So that was one project, but what we are going to talk about now is this whole organic acid uh, thing that has been a huge thing uh, in the coffee community the last 20 years, I think, and has been an integrated part, or is an integrated part of SEA, uh, the CQI system, and uh, uh, the coffee science diploma, and, and, and uh, very well-established uh, uh, educational uh, programs. Uh, and, and just a bit of history in this, uh, Ida Steen, uh, my colleague, she, uh, she started in Coffee Mind in 2013 and came straight out of university, where everybody talks about at the university, in Century Science in University, you've got the basic tastes, yeah. five basic tastes, bitterness, sweetness, uh, uh, acidity, salt, umami. Yeah. Uh, there are discussions about whether fat or whether uh, uh, car, uh, starch uh, is also a basic taste, but it's not really established, but you've got the five well-established. And then you've got aromas, and you've got retronasal olfaction, which is when the aromas evaporate into your nose. Um, through your mouth. Uh, th uh, through your, yeah, <laughs> your mouth, yeah. so to speak. Uh, and um, that's what they talk about. Yeah. They don't talk about different types of acids. Mm. So Ida was really really confused when she saw this in the program and she became lead creator and she challenged it and nobody really could you know where do we have this from and uh, and it's used everywhere so we we uh, she was really uh, skeptical about that and has been um so we did a pilot study five years ago where it was really uh, strongly indicated that um, that uh, that it's not really possible to differentiate uh, organic acids uh, uh, as such in, in pure water um, uh, and uh, we also have some chemical uh, analysis of coffee that shows that even if you could it's not relevant mm. because they don't uh, uh, modulate um, uh, so it's more like the total acidity that's relevant but we also found that if you if you think that Kenyan coffee is more acidic than Brazilian if you roast it the same even the total content of acidity doesn't really correlate with the perceived acidity because there's much more uh, acid in Brazilian coffee, like in much more really? compared to Kenyan. Really? Yeah, yeah. So not even that correlates. And that does not make sense for any. Uh, I, you know, everyone thinks of Kenyan coffee as being very acidic. The king of, of acid. And also when you pour milk into it, uh, the milk curdles sometimes. You know. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird. Which is weird, but that's maybe related to the pH level and. Uh... Yeah, but that's related to the uh, again to the acidity. So, yeah. but because Ida says, okay, let's we found all these data, but we also need to be able to explain why Kenya is then that much more perceived as acidic. Mm -hmm. So we need to 
still have uh, that to kind of uh, uh, to, to explain. But I'll just say that that it makes sense. So if you've got formic acid, that's uh, the acid that ants use to. They don't bite you. They actually oh, yes. uh, give you some, and that's also when you eat them. They taste, they, like they taste lime and lemon. And yeah, but that's grass. that's called formic acid. Okay, it's myrsyre yeah. in Danish. Uh, and um, and probably also Norwegian, I don't know. Mausir, yeah, 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 <laughs> <Mausir. laughs> And then you've got acetic acid, um, uh, which is uh, vinegar. Yeah, vinegar. Yeah. yeah, those two are small enough to be volatile at uh, room temperature, which means that those will give you a retronasal, uh, um, what you call impression. So those you can dif differentiate uh, because they have this extra thing uh, and you can smell vinegar right yeah. so th this is actually volatile but okay. when you get to um, glycolic and uh, lactic and uh, citric and tartaric and all those they are so big that they are not volatile so they only just affect your tongue and having theories about these penetrating the uh, uh, taste buds differently i don't know it's not well it's it, there's no research indicating anything of this we've really been trawling all research uh, that's out there haven't found anything uh, at all mm. so um, yeah we, we have a lot of data that we are working on publishing uh, so I, I guess this is a podcast we cannot go through all the, uh, no. the nitty-gritty things that I've shown you um, but I'm sure you will make a video presentation or something that people can dig into once that's published it's funny because today this morning I was allowed by the rest of the group to publish this uh, so I just uploaded it to YouTube today but it's not released yet because uh, I did this presentation in, in Seoul in June and we are with a South Korean interpreter, so we'll release it uh, through there first. Um, so it will be probably on your Coffee Mind YouTube channel? Yeah, perhaps, or their YouTube channel. We haven't talked about yeah. that, but the important thing is that we agreed this morning that we, that we are in such a progressed state of the research that we dare to share it. Okay. Normally you wouldn't do that uh, before you are, but we are in the end of the article writing, so yeah. we, we dare to do that. Um, so, yeah, that that's... Uh, it's it's uh, pretty controversial, but but I also think that it's really I'm excited that that we that we've started to to uh, to use science for what it's meant, which is to simplify things. Yeah. Often people would talk about molecules and sound scientific, but really science. The whole point is to make sure that what you say is right, and also to have a very simple understanding. Every time you have a science, you 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 have a few concepts that. You want to have as few concepts as possible that can explain as much as possible. Mm. You don't want to have as many concepts as possible because then you don't feel that you understand the essence of what's going on. You try to reduce uh, uh, complex systems to something simple in science and see the, more, uh, the better you can predict a system uh, with few things, the better you feel that you are at the core of what's going on here. This is across economics and across everything. You really want to simplify the world rather than make it so that it seems like and there's a, there are perfect uh, principles in science here. And there's uh, there's a medieval philosopher called Occam uh, who developed Occam's razor, uh, razor like shaving. shaving so yeah. you are shaving off the the fat of the explanations by if you have two explanation explaining the same thing, choose the simpler. Yeah. And it seems like in the education system in coffee the last 20 years, 
this has been done just the opposite. <laughs> if you have two explanations that explains the same, choose the more advanced. Yeah. And we talked about this morning uh, or this uh, a few hours ago that often I think rate of rise is a great, it's just the concept of speed that we know from physics. It's, there's nothing special about that, but often it's used rather than just talking about temperature of time. Um, sometimes it's, it's, it's chosen uh, uh, just because it sounds more advanced where you should actually just be talking about time. Yeah. Um, I'm not ruling out rate of rise is in, in, in important or irrelevant sometimes. It's just a way, another way of looking at the same numbers. Yes, basically. exactly. Um, so if you have a steep rate of rise mountain in the beginning, yeah. you will also have first crack earlier. If you have a flat uh, rate of rise mountain, you have first crack later. Why don't you just stick to first crack? And then there are things about this, the, the, the shape of it, uh, yeah. where our research has shown that small differences is not really perceivable <laughs> and things like that. So, so going back to Occam, Occam's race, I think if we can start uh, introducing that a bit more in our explanation, that kind of uh, reward people for the simple, <laughs> using the simple concepts rather than the most advanced, if they have the option to choose between the two, I think that would make everything much easier for everybody and particularly for the people coming into the coffee business. People are very intimidated by these very advanced concepts. Yes. And if they don't really make any sense, why use them? So just to uh, break it down a little bit so that people can understand, but basically when I did a sensory training in uh, one of the coffee exhibitions, one of the things we had to do was, and also to be a judge in the barista competition, you would have to taste uh, water solutions that had citric acid, I think it had salt, it had sugar, and obviously that's pretty easy to taste the difference and also to tell what, in different concentrations, what they are. But as soon as they started mixing them, uh, everyone was out sailing. And, it's funny. And you would actually, by design, you would have to fail maybe 80% of the students and then 20% would pass. And I, I took this test several times and uh, I passed it once and I had no idea why I passed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And it's the same like when I went to be a judge in the Cup of Excellence, we, and also did the Q grader, we had to taste different types of acid. So acetic acid, I think it's relevant in coffee because it can relate to fermentation. You know, when you ferment, ferment coffee for a long time, you generally perceive uh, kind of a vinegar flavor. In, yeah, in but the, the question is if it actually makes its way to the cup. I'm not sure it does. Uh, I think it does. And not necessarily the acid, acid itself, but the aromas you get from it. So I could oh, easily, yeah, that's another thing, yeah. easily talk about the coffee as being vinegary, you know. And uh, normally that will come from a very long fermentation time in a washed coffee, for instance. Or it could be like a bean that has been stuck in a fermentation tank. But it's an interesting distinction you made make it because you're not really claiming that it's necessarily the acetic acid, but it's, it's aromas that correlates with the development of acetic acid, just yes. like the aromas that was causing people to score high in sweetness, right? Yeah. So, so and, and if that's true, that it's aroma that drives the perception of acetic acids, then there's no reason to train people in acetic acids in pure solution, because no. that's not what you are detecting. It's actually, it's actually aromas. Yeah. Interesting. So... Uh, to break it down, like let's say when I taste the coffee and I can clearly taste that it has uh, aromas that reminds me of lemon or oranges, like an Ethiopian coffee for instance, very often the word lemon comes across. Does that mean does it, that it has a lot of citric acidity? 
Not necessarily. And that's what we found that uh, uh, of the coffee we measured, the Brazilian coffee was very high in acids, particularly citric acid. And the Kenyan was very low. We found that uh, the Brazilian uh, uh, coffees needed to be uh, roasted all the way down to Actron 55. Which is very dark. Which is, which is extremely dark in order to match the level of uh, citric acid in uh, Actron 110 Kenya. Which is very light. Which is extremely light. So, so that's the level of difference. Yeah. So, so I don't think it's, it's, uh, it, that it's actually driven by it. Which is okay. It might, it might be aromas. But, but we, we just have to kind of, on an education level, stop telling these stories that's not true. Yeah. There's no simple relationship between the chemistry of, uh, of a food substance and the perceived uh, uh, sensory properties. Because everyone in coffee and a lot of consumers as well that are interested in coffee, and I guess you wouldn't be interested in coffee if you listen to this podcast, <laughs> but most people will perceive a Brazilian coffee as being quite chocolatey, sometimes nutty, and at least not very high in acidity, no. you know? Of course you can get some Brazilian coffees that are really high in acidity. And, and you can, can roast them light and you can do. Yeah, but in general, if you put a Brazilian coffee next to a Kenyan, uh, the less acidic would definitely be the Brazilian coffee. Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting. So it might have more acidity in terms of organic acids, but you perceive it as less acidic. Yeah. And there's a lot uh, here that's not explained yet. Why is it? Because that's interesting. Mm. But, but I think the education system needs to be revised on, on, on this simplified assumption uh, between the two. Are you the only one who has found this? Or is maybe because you might have had an error in your design in the research? But that's interesting because that's what I thought. Yeah. When we did, the, we did, a, with this, did this project, I think it was in 2015 with a master's thesis student, where we measured uh, different types of, of, uh, of Kenyan uh, coffee and Brazilian and... Bolivian, I don't remember. And when the numbers came out with that the Brazilian had much higher acidity than the Kenyan, I dismissed the whole project <laughs> because I thought she made a label error. A yeah. student, what, what do they know about, uh, <laughs> you know, protocols and doing things right? And so I dismissed it. Yeah. And, and, and only took the, the, the sensory data because she also did. I really do apologize, Christine, for, for, for <laughs> revealing it here. But, 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 uh, but, you know, your intuition, you would also dismiss it, yeah, right? For sure. 100%. Yeah, based on, on experience. Uh, but she also did some sensory where she actually found that, that people couldn't, could detect uh, uh, um, in triangles a different shape between acetic acid and citric acid in triangles when it was in single. And she also showed she mixed them then and then people would, uh, wasn't able to do it anymore. So we actually have data that people are thrown off if you mix two acids in, uh, in, in water. So imagine if you have hundreds of impressions in coffee, there's no yeah. way you can start to do that. Yeah. But, but, but I actually dis dismissed it, this project and wanted to redo it. Uh, uh, and that's, that's what we've done now. So I roasted, I took two Kenyans, I went to Coffee Collective because everybody knows that they know about Kenyan acidity. I yeah. could also have got some from you, Tim. Yeah. I do apologize. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> and then we also got original coffees, Kenya, that Reza told me that uh, that uh, or that I know here from Contra that this is also a really acidic coffee. Uh, so I took those so that it can be no question about the green coffee I've chosen. Yeah. And then we took two Brazilian coffees as well. And we found the same. And I spoke to Samo at, uh, uh, in Zurich um, at the Coffee Excellence Center. 
And he said that he actually had seen uh, the same when he saw uh, some chemical analysis of coffee. So based on his claim uh, and our new data, I'm sorry, but, but I'm pretty sure. Uh, yeah, so we took two Kenyans, as I said, the yeah. two most acidic I could think of in the local area, and then two Brazilian, mm. and uh, to make sure that it wasn't just a random Kenya or ranch in Brazil, because we have this also with the data from five years ago, right? Yeah. Um, so... Uh, I'm sorry, I, I think we've replicated, and this is a new lab. The first data was done at University of Copenhagen. This is done at the University, Southern, uh, University of Southern Denmark with a complete, in a completely different lab. Yeah. Um, so. This is what I hate about research because sometimes it just tells you what you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, and particularly because researchers can be, you, you can get, uh, people, people can make errors. Yeah. But, but since it's done in two different at two completely different uh, locations now with different people. Yeah. Well, I hope, uh, I was excited when I heard about this because you already told me before this podcast, uh, what I kind of hope it might contribute to is that baristas will stop talking about malic acid and citric acid when they explain coffee to customers. Because, you know, being a customer who are not into coffee at all, listening to that kind of language does not uh, translate into anything. And even for me, like I prefer to simplify uh, how we talk about flavoring coffee and to, to words that people can understand, you know, because my mom will not eat an orange and say, oh, this has citric acid, you know, <laughs> she will say this tastes like an orange. And that's kind of, uh, I hope that uh, we can, uh, science is great, uh, but we, I think sometimes we use it a little bit wrong in coffee and talking about acid and especially now if you can say that even if it has those kind of acids in, in, the, in the coffee beans, you might not perceive them flavor-wise. So yeah. that's a very, very interesting research, I think. Yeah, so do I. But sometimes you also have to um, think about why people say that. Uh, and and, and, and I, that's more psychology than, than the chemistry, <laughs> right? Yeah. That people would like to kind of establish themselves as, as experts. Yeah. Yeah, maybe but, but 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 uh, which I think is completely le legitimate, but but and this is where it's the responsibility of the education systems that that expertise is established on f factual knowledge, mm. uh, and that this is this is where I'm addressing the education systems because those are actually uh, spreading the the concepts that people use. So I don't mind that people want to be perceived as an expert. I, I, I probably have some kind of that psychology as well, otherwise yeah. I wouldn't do this. Yeah. But, but, but I think we need to help the community to, yeah. to, to really shave, use Occam's razor to shave all this uh, fluff away. Uh, yeah. Great. I, I always say, you know, knowledge is always true until someone has proven it wrong. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of stuff that I have known in the past about coffee that turned out to not be true because yeah. uh, like uh, I've become, we as a community have become better at isolating factors and looking at, you know, for instance, uh, when we researched espresso before, we didn't even measure extraction. So even though we could do experiments and talk about our findings, no one was measuring the amount of we actually extracted. So we might be talking about many different things, you know. And then we discovered that, you know, even the filter baskets, if you had two different filter baskets made of the same brand, but, you know, 
two, two pieces of the same thing, they would give you different results because the holes have different size. And there's so much uh, knowledge that I have kind of learned by experience that turned out not to be right because I was, I was not actually researching what I thought I was researching. And we talked about this in the previous episode as well. That if you change the airflow in a roaster, for instance, yeah, the, the flavor changed, but that was actually because the color changed and not yeah. necessarily the airflow. Yeah. And, and I, I also have to, uh, uh, I have had a lot of theories and things that I said for years that, that luckily I didn't write a book about it, yeah. <laughs> but I've been telling hundreds of students that, that uh, I think that there's a reverse relationship between body and development time that is very watery in the beginning and then body goes up and then it becomes watery again. Okay. We didn't find any of that <laughs> in the research. So, uh, so that's kind of, but, but as a, you also have an experience yeah. when, when you are a trainer and you are a coffee professional, you also have to trust your experience once yeah. in a while, but, but you have to think about it as hypothesis, which is also fair to have mm. because it's valid. It's not taken out of the blue. Uh, so, so I think it's completely fair to have things, also as an educator, you, you're pretty sure that 80% of what you say is true and 20% is not. Your problem is you don't know what the 20% is yeah. and you kind of have to ed, ed, give the class, right? They paid to be here and, and you're sure they're better off after they've been there than before. Yeah. But, 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 but we need as a community to keep questioning ourselves, where is the all the small elements that will turn out to be the twenty percent that's not true? Yeah. So, so I, I'm, I've said a lot of things over the years also about how I thought that the chlorogenic acids uh, in uh, with the development time was there in the beginning, and we found that's not true. Yeah. So, so there's a lot of uh, but but the the first thing is to kind of acknowledge that that a lot of what I say is just a really uh, perhaps a good hypothesis which is not tested yet, yeah. and this these are the facts. So I, I'm guilty on, on all the things that I normally kind of, in some research project, then I can use that to kind of, this is wrong, this is wrong. But, but, but come on, we're just, we're just learning. But I think using science, and you said that, that science is uh, you know, good or bad, but, but it has to be used correctly at least yeah. in order for, for, for it to be an asset rather than a, a confusion, a source of confusion. Yeah. And this is where I, I, I really feel very strongly for talking, starting to talk about research design mm. and, and theory of science uh, because I really see how this could help our community um, to, to, to actually know something. It sounds like a really boring and uh, far-fetched subject, but it, it's, it's actually just common sense uh, when you collect data, uh, systematized and used. So, so it's not weird. Or anything, but it's uh, and that's what I the video that I've, uh, I've sent you. I'm trying to, I'll make other versions. It's long yeah. and but 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 it, it can be condensed. Uh, theory of sciences is actually could be really useful to speak more about in, in the education system and the community. So to sum up, uh, because we got to end the episode. Yeah. Uh, but to sum up, if you're interested in learning about organic acids, what they do and don't do in coffee, uh, then make sure to check out. Morten Munchaus and Coffee Minds video about it, which will be published somewhere very soon. Probably a good place to do research is your website. It is, and it's a presentation that I did with the X29 in South Korea this, this June. Okay, and your website is coffeemind.com. Dot, dot no slash or anything. Coffee Mind in one oh, word. Oh, sorry, coffee-mind.com. Coffee okay. Thank you. <laughs> cool. Thanks for listening, and uh, I'm really 
looking forward to look, watching that final video because I've just seen a little bit of it and I just found it super super interested so if you're interested in you know sensory science and all these kind of things uh, it's definitely worth watching because it might blow your mind <laughs> <laughs> thanks again Martin for thank you very much Tim for having me okay great pleasure now that's all we have for this episode I really hope you enjoyed listening to it we will be recording more episodes this year, so stay tuned for more of that. And if you have any suggestions or questions about this podcast, feel free to do so on our Instagram account, Tim Wendelbow. Stay tuned for more coffee content, and thanks for listening.